0: December 7th, 2022, Common Cause organizers, supporters, and advocates gathered on the Supreme Court steps. Inside the highest court in the United States, a case was being heard to determine whether state legislatures have sole authority over federal elections. Although this is a federal case, Common Cause was directly involved in getting this case on the Supreme Court docket. So we thought we could take a moment and pull back from looking at California issues and speak with two of our colleagues on this momentous ruling, what it means for North Carolina, and more importantly, for redistricting across the country. I'm your host, Alexandra Leal, and welcome back to Democracy Is, a show by California Common Cause, dedicated to exploring the complex and crucial systems that shape our democracy. In season one, Democracy Is produced a two-episode series on redistricting and gerrymandering, so if you haven't listened to those episodes yet, they will give you all the background you need to better understand the circumstances that led to Moore versus Harper. In this episode, we sit down with Sailor Jones, the associate director of Common Cause North Carolina, and Alton Wang, the Equal Justice Works fellow for the National Redistricting Team. Welcome Sailor and Alton. Thank you so much for coming on the Democracy as Podcast. We're so excited to have you all.
1: Thanks so much, Alex.
0: So Obviously, Moore versus Harper. I mean, wow, what a case. But a lot of our listeners might not be familiar with how this even got to the Supreme Court. so I'm wondering during the 2020 redistricting cycle, what happened in North Carolina that set Moore versus Harper into motion?
1: Well, Alex, uh, I'll go first. I know Alton has a lot to say on this front, but and, it, and it's a long and winding tale of treachery and triumph uh, perfect for a podcast but Moore v harper really originated from a pretty standard redistricting lawsuit in north carolina state courts involving the state's congressional map um it was two years ago a complaint was filed in state court on behalf of plaintiffs in a case then called Harper v. Lewis, and it's hard to follow all the names and iterations of this case, but stay with me. So that was challenging the state's 2021 congressional and legislative maps drawn with 2020 census data. The complaint argued that the maps were extreme partisan gerrymanders that entrenched Republican power in violation of our state's constitution. This followed a 2021 redistricting process led by the North Carolina General, General Assembly are lawmakers here that saw very little transparency, very few opportunities for genuine public input, and what we believe was a total failure to review racial data important to protecting districts serving communities of color. What resulted was a brand new, brand spanking new 14 district congressional map that created 10 very, very safe Republican districts and three safe Democratic districts, plus one competitive district. Remember, North Carolina's population has exploded, and uh, we got one additional district due to the 2020 census. So the initial Harper complaint also showed that the state legislative maps, the Senate and House maps, also packed and cracked Democratic voters in order to solidify that Republican power. I was telling you about. So as you can imagine, here in North Carolina and most states across the South, the maps triggered multiple lawsuits, and shortly thereafter. This case was consolidated with a related case. It was called North Carolina uh, League of Conservation Voters versus Hall. And additionally, we, Common Cause, which initially brought claims in North Carolina NAACP v. Burger, mostly on uh, racial discrimination grounds for those maps, intervened as plaintiffs as well. So after a trial that was held in January 2022, the trial court ruled that there was no intentional racial discrimination and that and Jerry remandering claims are non-justiciable. It's very hard to say lawyers speak for not suitable for North Carolina courts to rule on and upheld the maps. But we immediately appealed this case this decision went to the north carolina state supreme court which held oral arguments on february 2nd 2022 and by february 4th in a historic opinion for north carolina the supreme court concluded that partisan gerrymandering was indeed unconstitutional in the great state of north carolina by a 4-3 majority and struck down those legislative and congressional maps for being partisan gerrymanders that violated north carolina's constitution following that state Supreme Court ruling, uh, the trial court adopted remedial maps, new state house remedial maps passed by the General Assembly, and a congressional map drawn by a court-appointed special expert. And that's important because those were interim maps. Uh, the congressional ones. They were to be redrawn this year, you guessed it, ahead of 2024 and only used for one year. Now, our state lawmakers, they're intrepid. Uh, They were unhappy with this ruling and the remedial maps that followed so North Carolina Republicans filed an emergency application to the U.S. Supreme Court to replace the remedial map with their own, arguing the state court system could not mandate this type of congressional redistricting. Now, the Supreme Court turned them down that time around, and the congressional map stayed for the 2022 elections. But on June 30th, 2022, the US Supreme Court agreed to hear the case in full. That would become Moore v. Harper and send us down the path that many people know now in fighting the independent state legislature theory and North Carolina Republicans' attempts to have unfettered power, not simply over that congressional map making, but over federal election rules. Together. And that kind of brings us to the present day. Although a lot of machinations were happening here in North Carolina later down the road, where the state Supreme Court was asked to rehear that lawsuit from 2022, rehear uh, the historic ruling finding partisan gerrymandering unconstitutional, especially after the 2022 elections, where the state Supreme Court changed hands to a more conservative 5-2 majority. And that rehearing led to the overturning of those previous rulings here in North Carolina. And now partisan gerrymandering is back again, A-OK, in the great state of North Carolina. But that was an aside from Moore v. Harper. Moore v. Harper was still up at the U.S. Supreme Court being considered.
0: Wow. I Yes, definitely a twist and turn tale. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering, when did Common Cause North Carolina and the National Redistricting team get involved with this case? And, and why did you all, you know, specifically, I guess, to Alton, why, why did the National Redistricting team see this as such a monumentous case?
2: Well, you know, North Carolina has long been a source of both excitement, frustration, and also ongoing activity when it comes to the redistricting fight for Common Cause. You know, Saylor and the Common Cause North Carolina team have been waging this battle on the ground for many years now. And we've had other cases come up through the courts in North Carolina. One of our recent cases famously before the United States Supreme Court, Common Cause v. Rucho. A lot of this work really impacts other states. What happens in the redistricting landscape of one state can very much impact the redistricting landscape of another state. Which is why we are involved, and you know we support all of our state organizations and state leaders, when they go through any redistricting challenge, any redistricting fight, but especially in cases like these, what we see is not only an instance where we are trying to defend fair maps in North Carolina, but we're also trying to make sure that we can still do that in states across the country, because the threats that the other side were bringing up in Moore v. Harper would have completely decimated our ability to protect tech maps in any state if we allowed them to win. So, you know, that's a big part of our partnership with the North Carolina team, and of course, with other stakeholders and um, other groups on the ground, because we knew that what's at stake here wasn't just impacting North Carolina. It's also impacting every state in this country.
0: That definitely makes sense. Thank you, Alton. So how did this case end up going to the Supreme Court?
2: Well, I'll take a stab here first, and I know Saylor will certainly jump in. You know, this case came to the court, the federal Supreme Court, because North Carolina Republican legislators were unhappy with the fact that their state Supreme Court at the time told them that you cannot partisan gerrymander your maps. And in order to try to do an end run around that finding by their own state Supreme Court, the highest court of the land in North Carolina, in the state the side, they try to advance a, a fringe and radical theory known as the independent state legislature theory, asserting claims under the federal constitution, the federal elections clause with this very radical interpretation of that clause to try to assert their own power and their own dominance in this process instead of the checks and balances our democracy has known for the last few centuries. And so by advancing this radical theory they were able to try to convince the court the federal supreme court that this ruling by the state supreme court cannot stand that this is not allowable uh, because the power according to them and according to this fringe theory should be in the hands of only the state legislature which of course is a is an absolute ridiculous thing for any Any civics course anybody in this country would have ever taken knows that that's an absolutely ridiculous statement to make. And yet the court entertained this uh, theory and entertained this argument when they decided to take the case. And so that's how they got to the court um, based on this kind of novel reading um, of the federal constitution um, in order to back up their own
1: claims.
0: Taylor, do you have anything you want to add to that progression?
1: I mean, Alton said it perfectly. And, you know, we we are asked often what were the main arguments and why were we in this case? I think those go hand in hand in a state like North Carolina. As Alton pointed out, this radical idea goes against 200 years of legal precedent where we had three branches of government, one checking the other and would give state legislators unchecked power to gerrymander not simply voting maps, but also enact discriminatory voting rules ahead of one of the highest profile elections this country has ever had. In a state like North Carolina, the Republican-led North Carolina General Assembly, which currently has a supermajority and can overcome most gubernatorial vetoes, and we don't have gubernatorial vetoes in North Carolina for things like redistricting and constitutional amendments. That would have been devastating in a state like North Carolina to give lawmakers unchecked power, and also North Carolina's Republican Party, which has passed some of the worst gerrymanders, not simply in the state, but in the country, as well as monster voting laws year after year after year, but mostly preceding these high profile presidential elections where they want themselves and uh, at the highest levels, Republicans in office, it would have been devastating. And if they had unchecked power, where no state court could check the on federal elections, devastating not simply for North Carolina, but for states across the nation that have that same authoritarian control. So you can imagine in this environment, as Alton was pointing out, for states like North Carolina to have that would mean erasing in many ways the courts and the executive branch from processes that have long protected North Carolinians from these devastating laws.
0: So, the independent state legislature theory, the the argument against it, was that the main argument that was brought in this SCOTUS case?
2: It certainly was, um, you know, what we really argued and what all of us and when I say all of us, Us does not just include Common Cause and the other parties in this case that were on our side. Us included conservative legal thinkers, us included progressive activists. Everybody across the spectrum agreed that the text of the Constitution, the history of the Constitution. The precedent that the court themselves had decided over the last 200 years and how the practice of our democracy works only can lead to one conclusion, that the independent state legislature theory has to be defeated and that it is not a understanding of the federal constitution that can stand. Um, And it's really interesting to note that there was so much unity Across dozens of amicus briefs filed before the Supreme Court, across public appearances from conservative former judges to folks more on the progressive side, all arguing the same thing. Because what this French theory really is representing is a a, a really radical idea to try to reshape our democracy for power's sake and what everybody was really fighting. And what we were saying was all unified in this regard, that this cannot stand.
0: Yes. That is really a fascinating thing that really touches upon one of the cornerstones, which is common cause is nonpartisan. And it's great that the fact that we are gets allows us to interact with like so many groups along the spectrum, like you said, Alton, that are all fighting for the same thing, which is a fair democracy. Can you all tell us about that day when the argument was being heard? I know that most of y'all were in D.C. I think there was like some really bad weather that day, if I remember correctly. But what were you all feeling when you rallied on the court steps?
2: Energy and energy. It was so important for us to make clear as the court was on the inside, hearing this case and hearing from our fabulous lawyer that represented the non-state respondents, former U.S. Solicitor General Neil Katyal, it was important for us to be on the steps outside of the court, just making clear our position that we must protect the checks and balances of our democracy. We had an incredible rally of hundreds of folks from organizations across the country, really trying to bring home the message that we have to uphold our checks and balances, that we have to defeat the independent state legislature theory, and that energy on the outside. And yes, there was a little bit of rain, um, there was a little bit of downpour that uh, we were we were trying to stay dry as much as we possibly could. But you know, our presence there was was critical to make sure that as the news media was tuning in, as the rest of America was tuning in, that what they saw was a unified message on the court uh, steps. And what we were proud to see is that we were the presence there at the court that day. And we really made that message loud and clear.
1: And I think, Alex, what Alton was seeing was the darkness uh, over the Supreme Court for even taking this case in the first place. And there was a ton of sunshine here in North Carolina that day. And I know uh, prior to the arguments, Common Cause NC had embarked on a 60 plus county, we have 100 counties here in North Carolina, Moore v. Harper educational tour called the Map Our Future Tour, or the Moore Tour for short. And on the tour, we We spoke to thousands of North Carolinians of all political persuasions prior to the oral arguments. We did that because we wanted all of those voices to be heard loud and clear all the way up to Washington, D.C., ahead of the oral argument. And as a result, while half of our Common Cause NC team was headed up to D.C., the other half spanned out all across the state to be with the same people who were with us on those tour stops, all of whom were able to speak to local media on their concerns about Morby Harper and their hopes as well that their concerted voices had made their way all the way up to the nine justices and would indeed make the difference that as Alton said, it would take for many different types of voices to have those justices thinking about their legacy and how wrong ISLT was for the nation. So I was excited to be with them that day in sunny North Carolina, where we put some sunshine on those primary arguments against Morby Harper, while Neil Katyal did the same thing at the Supreme Court. But we were so proud of Alton and so many people who were standing outside and standing firm against the independent state Legislature theory and those who would advance it at those highest levels.
0: Now, Alton, I know that some of your colleagues were on the inside of the Supreme Court. What did you hear from them about the arguments?
1: Well, first,
2: for folks who may not be familiar with how to be on the inside of a federal Supreme Court argument, you have to be there bright and early. <laughs> even for folks that are lawyers and are even members of the Supreme Court bar, uh, you, you are in line. You are making sure that you get your spot because once the seating is out, it is gone. But more critically, how, how
0: early are we talking? Like five?
2: Oh, yeah. Six. Oh, absolutely. Um, some of our folks, some of our team members that wanted to be on the inside that were not lawyers and not members of the Supreme Court bar had to be in line as early as 3, 4 a.m in order to have a spot to get into the courtroom. It is an absolutely uh, uh, crazy uh, thing to do, in my opinion, which is why I was proud to be on outside rallying (laughs) in a much more reasonable hour. Um, But it was important for us to be on the inside for many reasons, one of which is to make sure that we were getting the reactions of the justices and the questioning that they were providing in real time right? We don't get a video stream of how the arguments are going. And so our folks in the room really understanding what was happening during arguments that day. And, you know, two quick reactions that I would say we heard the most. One is, wow, the arguments went on long. Uh, We did not expect the arguments to go on for that long. Um, At some point in the rally, we were just wow, our programming was, was, was long and robust and full of energy. But we did not expect that length of an oral argument, which goes to show of the questions, the amount of questions that a justice has had for this case and how critical this case really was as they were considering it on its merits. And the second thing I think is just the caliber and uh, detailedness and the interest the questions had from the justices. What we walked out of that room understanding is that there were a number of justices that had skepticism of any extreme version of independent state legislature theory. For instance, we certainly have heard that from Amy Coney Barrett. We certainly heard that from more, the more liberal justices on the dais at the court. And that helped us understand not necessarily what they were gonna rule because you never know what their decision is going to be until it comes out. But what it did tell us is that there were serious doubts about an extreme version of this dangerous theory. And it helped us understand how to prepare moving forward.
0: So flash forward, June 27th, 2023, at the time of this recording less than a month ago, the decision comes out and the justices have ruled in common causes and Becky Harper, who's the Harper and Moore versus Harper, favor. Tell me what your reactions were.
2: Elation, relief, excitement. I mean, it's one of those moments where I don't think anyone can prepare you how to feel just having a favorable outcome. But as um, our lawyer, Neil Katyal, said that it was a straight out win for our case for our arguments the court adopted our arguments in full essentially and that that was a really um, excellent, um, space to be in, in collaboration, um, and holding space with our partners. I should definitely mention the hard work of our lawyers in this case over at the Southern Coalition for Social Justice, as well as Hogan Lovells, who were on the line with us as we were busily refreshing our computer screens for the opinion to come down. But that moment when we were reading those words and seeing how clear the court was in striking down this dangerous theory. Um, You know, for me, I have to say it really was relief because we knew that the consequences of this theory succeeding would have been so dire.
1: Yeah. Alton, I think it was you who I found out about it. I I think I was on Slack with you when it came down. And um, as has been reiterated again and again and again, Morvie Harper is a testament to the power of our people over their politics. And so the first thing I thought is the same as old Southern people think when they're sitting on the porch on a hot summer day and it begins to rain. And to a person in North Carolina, old people will say, man, we needed this. And that is how I felt about Morby Harper. Not only that elation that Alton was talking about, but we absolutely, in North Carolina, in Southern states where their legislature isn't listening, maybe their courts are in a political lockstep with their legislature, maybe the executive branch isn't great either. You know, we were really in North Carolina needing to build a movement out of Morvie Harper and show people that their voices mattered over those months. And boy, this victory really gave them the wind in their sails and the wind at their backs to, to overcome a lot of what we're likely to see in terms of attacks on voting access and gerrymandering here in the state. But like Alton, elation is the best word to describe when you're just absolutely know you have the best arguments, but don't know if you're in the best environment for people to hear them, and uh, like those old people on the porch, we desperately needed this in North Carolina and in so many states. And I, like Alton did, I want to give a, a shout out to our friends in Alabama as well. Those heroes made sure that we have the wind at our backs. Should racial gerrymandering come along too, and Allen v. Milligan, so two huge victories for voting rights coming out of the South, and a one-two punch against those who would gerrymander our state and other states across the union.
0: Sailor Alton thank you so much for joining us today this was a really incredible interview and it was amazing to hear about the work that's going on throughout the rest of the country and we wish you the best of luck in this next redistricting cycle
1: thank you so much
0: Thank you for listening to the Democracy Is Podcast presented by California Common Cause. We hope you enjoyed our show and that you will join us for the next episode in season two. Research, writing, and editing was done by our team, which includes Maya Chupkov, Pedro Hernandez, and myself, Alexandra Leal. Special thanks to Alton Wang and Sailor Jones for being on the podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the work California Common Cause does, how to get involved, or if you'd like to donate to our work or this podcast, please visit www.commoncause.org forward slash California. On our website, you will also find a page dedicated to our podcast where you can learn more about the guests we've had on the show, additional resources, and read our show notes. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. Thank you.